Amen? Amen. Okay, I did promise you a couple weeks ago that I had a few jokes. Okay, does anybody remember? Okay. I did have a couple jokes. I don't normally do jokes. This isn't stand-up. But I did have to say this second joke. So the first joke was from a few weeks ago, and it was, why uh, did Jesus never wear a necklace? And the answer was, because he breaks every chain. Okay? Jesus breaks every chain. Can't have a necklace on because he breaks every chain. Okay, well, my kids wanted to, they reminded me that they wanted me to give you one of the other ones, which I think is great. And the question goes like this, is why did Satan have to come as a serpent? Because he is disarmed and defeated. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, I didn't make it up. You know, clap for me. I don't know. It was my delivery. I do appreciate that. do appreciate that. No, no, no. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, because he is disarmed and defeated. Hey, isn't that the truth? Come on, that's why we're really clapping, isn't it true? Because Jesus does break every chain, and Satan is defeated, and he is disarmed, and his power no longer has effect over our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to continue the series on the Sermon on the Mount, the way of Jesus, and Pastor Andy and uh, Pastor Liz did a great job the past couple weeks uh, just talking uh, about different verses here. And last week, Pastor Andy talked about basically this radical love over revenge. Radical love over revenge. And the second part of that passage of scripture I'm going to talk about this morning, and it's radical love over hatred. So not only, and Pastor was talking about the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth. What does that mean? Does that mean that we just, you know, sit around and let people beat on us and say whatever they want to us? No, absolutely not. And if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. Uh, Pastor Andrew does a great job at understanding what that verse really means, but that we also have to have boundaries, and it doesn't mean we just let people walk all over us. And he did an excellent job uh, expositing uh, that scripture. But today I want to talk about this radical love over hatred. So how do we love our enemies? How do we love, our, and who are our enemies? Do we even have enemies? Like what, and I was reading this going like, I'm trying to think like, do I have actual enemies? Like what does that look like? What does that even mean? Uh, and, I want, and I want to share some, some scriptures regarding that and some real practical truths on how do we actually go do this. But I will tell you, that I do have an enemy in my house right now. Mm. Everyone's interested in what I'm going to say. My kids probably know exactly what it is. So each year, we live in a 100-year-old farmhouse. And as you know, in an old farmhouse, there's little creases and crevices in which little critters like to come into the house. Okay? And each year, I set up these beautiful little traps. You know, the simple ones. You know, you get them in a four-pack, put a little peanut butter on them. You know, and they do their thing, right? Okay. And so I've done this every year since we lived at this house. And this year, I keep finding mouse, you know, the things, the turds, okay? I keep, I keep finding these things all over the house. And I look at the traps, and they're not, they're not going off. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I start setting more traps. So I have like four, five, six traps. And I don't put just a little peanut butter on these traps. 
I'm talking now, I am dripping the peanut butter on the traps. I am literally like, I'm like stirring up the peanut butter. Get, I put on so much peanut butter, it's, the trap's going to go off almost already without anything touching it. And so the next morning, I'm super excited. I come in, I'm like, ooh, these are my enemies. We're talking about our enemies this morning, right? I come down, I'm just like, ooh, I got them. And I go look at the trap. The peanut butter is gone. The trap is not set off. I am like, what is happening? How is this even possible? Like, what is it, like hovering in the air? Like, how is, these, how is this mouse eating all of this peanut butter? And so the next day, I'm like, well, that, that's it. There's sticky things too, right? You get the sticky little traps. I'm like, watch this. I'm going to put a sticky trap right in front of the mouse trap that has the peanut butter on it. Watch. Let's see if you can get away from this thing. So the next morning, I come downstairs. I'm like, ooh, we're going to get this thing. And I look. The sticky trap is gone. I'm like, what the heck? How is it gone? Where did it go? And so it was in like in the back of our kitchen underneath our stove. And so I went in the basement and I'm literally up in the rafters looking for it. And I find the sticky trap. I put peanut butter in the middle of the sticky trap. There's the trap. No peanut butter, no mouse. <laughs> what on earth is going on? And so I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm just getting more and more traps. So I started putting traps all over. So 1130 last night, preaching on enemies today. 11.30 last night, I am sound asleep. I'm sleeping like a baby. This is fantastic. What? My son wakes me up. He's like, Dad, there's something, there's something making a lot of noise downstairs. I'm like, ooh, I got one. I got it. He's like, it's, it's making all this noise. I'm like, yes, I got it. So I come down the base, 11.30, 11.33 now, and I'm a little groggy. I don't have my contacts in. I don't have my glasses on. Probably mistake number one, right? And so I'm beginning to look. I'm like, I hear it, but I don't see it. Like, what's going on? Where is it? And I hear the thing going. So I'm moving stuff around in the basement, and then all of a sudden, you know what I find? The trap without the mouse in it. I have no idea. This mouse's will to live is unbelievable. How it can defeat all of my traps, I do not know. But let me tell you, church, that, that mouse is my enemy, and it will go in the name of Jesus. Because my Bible tells me, my Bible tells me, that I don't, on this type of enemy, I don't have to love this enemy. This enemy has, this is a pestilence, this is a rodent, and is in my house, and guess what? It's got to go in Jesus' name. So I'm looking to kill this thing, and oh yeah, I'll give you a testimony update next week. Oh yeah, we're searching online for additional types of traps, power traps, electronic traps. These things are going down, okay? Okay, but this is not how we're going to treat our actual enemies in this earth, okay? The people of our lives, this is not what we are to go do. So let me read a, let me read a passage of scripture out of Matthew 5 here, starting in verse 43. This is where we left off. Gosh, those mice. Man. Okay, sorry. Focus. Scripture. It says, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And all of these things that Jesus is doing, he's going back and taking some Old Testament scripture or law and things that they would believe, and then they would use that to live their life. But you know, Jesus came and changed everything. 
Jesus came and changed everything. He didn't change the law. He fulfilled the law, which means all the things of the law that were out there, he came to fulfill those things. And so he came to fulfill this law, this law of love, right? He says in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. What? But they're my enemy. I don't want to love them. I don't want to love them. Then it says, bless those who curse you. Why does Jesus say these things? We'll look at that in a minute. Bless those who curse you. So you mean someone who's going around talking bad about me? You want me to bless them? Oh, this is hard. Jesus comes and works on our flesh, man, sometimes. It is tough stuff. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And he keeps going. It's like, all right, Jesus had enough. Could you just shut it down? No, keeps going. And then pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You're like, what? But then he says this, a very interesting in verse 45, that you may be sons of your heavenly Father. Ooh. You know, God is a God of love. If God gave us everything that we deserve and everybody on this earth what we deserve, guess what? Humanity would be extinct. We would not be around anymore. God is a God of love and of patience, of grace, and of mercy. And we did that series on the attributes of God. And we think about those things. And then Jesus is coming and telling us that he wants us to live in a manner as Jesus lived. And he modeled it and walked it out for us. But he wants us to live in this way so that we may be sons of our heaven, of our Father in heaven. He says, for he makes the sun rise on evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Sun comes up every day whether there's more Christians or less Christians. He sends rain on, on everything. And verse 46 says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Church, it's easy to love someone who loves you. Isn't it? It's, that's simple stuff, man. It's just like, oh, you love me, I love you, yay. That's easy. I don't really struggle with that as much. For if you love those that love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we're going to break these scriptures down and really begin to look at those. And I want to open up with a quick story, just of my own. It's not about mice. Okay. But it is about my time that I worked at GE. And I'm going to use this story because I think it's a good story and example to show how do we do this, what does it feel like, what does it look like to really love our enemies, and what is that something practical in this world uh, for us to kind of relate to and see. Now, you may have this, you may have something like this in school or in your workplace or in your family or wherever it might be, but I'm going to use this story just because I think it's a good illustration for us to see how this works. And I'll walk through each of the scriptures here to talk through that. So when I was at GE, uh, one of my jobs, actually I was in Grove City. I believe I worked with someone in here in Grove City before. Um, I was in Grove City, and I was overseeing an area of the shop that had three shifts. It was a first shift, a second shift, and a third shift. And it was engine final assembly. You know, there's, I don't know, maybe 150 people 
in the, in the department, in the area. And they were sort of split on three shifts. Well, we got into some different ways of being more productive in manufacturing, and we were at a point, given volume and productivity, where we needed to eliminate one of the shifts, okay? And so uh, we had decided that the right business thing to go do was to eliminate third shift, which meant there would be left a first shift and a second shift. And that made a lot of sense. Business-wide, it made a lot of sense for us, you know, to be able to manage it better. If there's an engineering problem, it was at 7 to 8 o'clock at night, not in the middle of the morning, right? All these things made it total sense to do that. So I go walking in, so I have to make the announcement to the third shift that we're removing that shift and they have to go find other jobs in the plant somewhere else. Well, I go walking into this meeting, I am like confident as can be. Like this is the greatest thing ever. Like this is such a great decision, this makes total sense and everybody in this room is gonna totally be on board with this. Totally on board. Totally on board. This is fantastic, right? So I walk up, you know, to the front of the room, like, hey, guys, listen, I got to tell you something. You know, volume is changing, stuff like that. We got this productivity. It's a really great and exciting time to be part of our business. And what we're going to have to do, though, is we're going to have to eliminate the third shift assembly. And I began to keep speaking, and it was like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was like, what? Like, I was totally caught off guard. And I had a group of 40 very, very, very angry people in that room. And I was like, what is going on? And I, was, I started getting, I was a little, a little bit nervous, man. I started sweating up there. I was just like, but, you know, but it's the right thing to do. It's like, it's the right thing for you, but it's not the right thing for me. And I was like, what? I don't understand what you guys are saying. And they said, hey, Jason, let me tell you something. Do you know what you just told me? You told me that I'm not going to get to see my child again for the next six months. And I was like, what? He's like, you know, we went on third shift for a reason. I went on third shift because my son or daughter goes to school all day on first shift, and then I get to see them at home in the evenings before I have to come to work. And because of my seniority, you are kicking me now down to second shift, which means my kids are in school all day, and I work all night, and I will never get to see my kids or my wife until there's a vacation, holiday, or maybe over the weekend. I was like, oh. I was like, whoa, oh, I, did, I didn't even realize it. And immediately at that moment, I literally was their enemy. I kid you not. They were so mad at me. Like, and, I, and I was, I'm like a nice person normally, right? I mean, I'm like, this is like, this is great. People like me. And then all of a sudden, people did not like me. And they were very angry. They were very upset at me. And there's a lot of lessons we can learn from this story. But I want to walk through these scriptures and because this was a very difficult thing, if you've ever had a true enemy in your life, someone who's really coming against you, who is speaking against you, who is saying lies about you, who are writing things in the bathroom, in the stall. I mean, how many of you had stuff written about you on a stall in a bathroom recently? <laughs> Just me. Oh, okay. Just me. All right. So you understand. Like, this is, a, this is a traumatic event in my life. I mean, I'm talking about things I can't say up here. Written, you know, carved in, markered. All, I'd go to the bathroom and be like, I'm just trying to make a business decision. 
oh my goodness. So I had to really begin to think like, Lord Jesus, help. Come on, guys. Have everybody, ever, anybody been there? Jesus, help. I needed help. Don't we? we all need help. When we have someone who's against us or they've done something to harm us or they're just flat out our enemy for some reason in your life, it is a difficult thing to have to go do. And then Jesus comes along and says, I got to love them and I got to bless them. How on earth am I going to go do that? So verse 43 says this. Have you heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy? But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, first we have to define what is love. What is, don't everybody start singing that song. What is love, baby, don't hurt. Okay, no, don't, no song singing here and you don't want me to sing. So what is love? The, the definition of love that we've used, I should have put it up, but it's not up there, so just listen to me. The definition of love is doing the best possible thing for the other person in the moment. Love is doing the best possible thing for the other person in the moment. And all of you that are parents understand that to be very true. Because if your kid asks for a lollipop, sometimes loving them is giving the lollipop, and sometimes loving them is saying no to the lollipop. So when we love someone, it doesn't mean we just do whatever they want, or we give them whatever they want, or we just let them do whatever they want. Love has boundaries. Love sets boundaries. In relationships, it sets boundaries. And in this case, in the situation I had at GE, I had to realize, like, what is, how, how can I love these very angry men who are very upset at me right now? But we have to realize that love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's not something that we, we get to do only when we feel it. How many of you know if we only loved whenever we felt it, a lot of us wouldn't be loving ever? At least that's for me. But love is doing the best possible thing for the other person in the moment. And then the other thing we have to look at, what is an enemy? What truly is an enemy? What does that look like? And as we get closer to the return of Jesus... Uh, you know, as Christians, a lot of times we're seen as enemies of culture and of this world. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but you guys recognize and understand what that means. And I would, I, would, I would present to you guys that when someone who doesn't walk with Jesus is upset at you because of your stance or certain things, please don't be surprised at that. I think too often we get, like, offended or upset that a non-Christian is acting like a non-Christian because they don't understand Jesus and what Jesus did. And so a lot of times we, at least, again, me, maybe it's just me, uh, but, you know, we overreact on something that's really, we should sort of be expecting of that because they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand love. They haven't had that understanding of who he is. So if, if, so what is a real enemy? So who is our true enemy? Church, the true enemy is not the mouse in my basement. The true enemy is not that third shift worker who I just said aren't going to be able to see their kids. The true enemy is the devil. The true enemy is Satan, who is defeated and disarmed, by the way. The true enemy is the devil. And the Bible talks about that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. So our battle, our true enemy, if we could recognize that my enemy was not the third shift guys at GE. 
The enemy was really the devil. And what the devil's plan and purpose was is, yes, that was the right decision to do. Yes, I was the one who had to make it. And I had to walk through that, and God showed me a lot of lessons. But what the enemy wanted to do is derail me, derail my career, derail everything about what God had intended for my life. And I had to recognize and see that. And I had to look at every one of those guys when I walked past them and say, in my mind, not out loud, because <laughs> that would be weird. Hey, you're not my enemy. But I had to remind myself over and over that, you know what? You're actually not my enemy. You're just a person that God loves who's upset about a situation and a decision and something that's affecting their life. So our true enemy is the devil. And then the, then the scripture goes on and says, bless those who curse you. So when we, I was like, all right, Lord, if I'm going to live this out, live this out, how do I bless them? How do I bless this team? Right? So I, you know, my first instinct was to get donuts and coffee for the next day when they would come in. Like, oh, look at me. I'm so sorry that I'm ruining your life. Here's some donuts and coffee. You know, they looked at the donuts and coffee and were like, think you're going to buy me? Think you're going to buy my favor? I don't think so. I'm still upset. My wife's upset too now. Everyone's upset at you, Jason. Like, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. But we have to say, okay, Lord, and I ask, Lord, how can I bless them? And a lot of times there's blessing and cursing that we can do verbally with our mouth. And we don't have to do it necessarily in front of them or right around them, but I began to speak positive things over them. And I, what I, honestly, I would, what I began to say was like, Lord, I would take one of their names, who, you know, some of them that were really upset at, upset at me, and i say, you know what, Lord, I pray that you would give them a first shift job. Or that maybe they would bump to a third shift job somewhere else. Lord, I pray that you would bless these people. That this effect that they think they're seeing on their life won't be as bad as it's going to be. And instead of me saying, you know, oh, these idiots that just keep yelling at me, this is crazy, this is the right decision. Can't they just see? Can't they just see? I had to decide in my, in my heart to say, you know what, I'm going to bless them. So I would speak blessings over them. And you know that there's power in our words. And we can speak life or death over those people who seemingly in this world are our enemies, but we know who our true enemy is. Then Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. And so when they would bump around into different positions, I would always make it my goal to be able to go to the, ex the next manager and say, you know what, this person's a great, and they were, you know, I'd be being truthful or honest. But, you know, this is a great employee. I think they'd be great for this position. And I would make myself available to be able to help them in any way, shape, or form that I could. And I decided that I was going to be helpful to them. Whether they were mad at me or not, I would continue to help them and do good to them. And there are different examples here in your own life that you can do. You can respond well. You can speak well of them. You can bless somebody with something completely unexpected. And then the one I probably focused on the most was the last portion of the scripture. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, I had to do a lot of praying. I had to do a lot of praying during this time. But I would, I would think about those guys and the impact I had, and I would pray for them. I'd say, Lord, will you just really make a way for them? May this be a blessing in their life. And I would pray for them over and over and over again. Because in verse 45, then, it says that we may be sons of your Father in heaven, and he makes the sun rise on evil and good and sends a rain on the just and unjust. And to me, it was just like, look, there's like this condition that says that when we do this, when we rise up and we bless those 
who curse us, when we do good to those, when we pray for those who are coming against us, that in, in general, it says that we get to do this, we can be called sons and daughters of God. It's like, man, like that's what, I want to be an ambassador for him. I want to be an ambassador in my school or in my workplace. I want to be able to say, you know what? I want them to look back and say, and I don't know if they've ever said this or not, say, you know what, you know, Jason, what he did really, really kind of affected my life. But you know what? At the end of the day, he still loved us through it. He tried to take care of us. He did his best for us at the end of the day. Knowing that I was a Christian, what a reflection of God's love that was out there. In verse 46, Jesus says, and we've we've read this, I won't belabor this point, but if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And basically he's saying here in these two scriptures, 46 and 47, it's easy to love someone who loves you, but it's hard to love someone who doesn't love you. Then verse 48 says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I read this verse. How many of you have read this verse and been like, what? How on earth am I going to be perfect? Like I already, I messed up this, I mean, I, I was saying things about mice this morning and last night at 11.33 p.m. that probably weren't all perfect. Okay? My kids didn't hear the words, but I was upset. I was mad. How are we possibly going to be perfect? And here's what I found about this scripture is, yes, we have Jesus. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. But we have to remember day in and day out, it's our spirit man that has been made perfect. It's not our flesh that's made perfect. It's our spirit man. And God is working on us in this process of sanctification over the course of time as we grow and as we just dig into his word and we are discipled by him and through others is that we begin to be a reflection like Jesus. And this is what Jesus was saying here is, these things are hard to go do, but as you do them, God is working and perfecting inside of you and aligning your flesh with your perfect spirit man. So how do we do this? Let me give you a couple points. So how do we radically love our enemies? Here's a definition of radical. I like this definition. Favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. In order to love our enemy, we have to get kind of extreme with ourselves. We've got to get extreme with our flesh a little bit. We've got to be radical about this. So the first thing we have to go do is we have to invite Jesus in. Church, if you're dealing with this situation or with someone, or maybe it's at a workplace, maybe it's at school, maybe it's just in general you feel this cultural pull, is how do we do this? We have to invite Jesus in. Invite him into the situation. As soon as it's happening, when you're in the midst of it, you say, Jesus, I invite you here. Second thing we have to do is we have to remember who the real enemy is. Remember who the real enemy is. And I think when we begin to get this perspective that someone out there who is saying things about us is truly not our real enemy and that our real enemy is Satan, it begins to give us a completely different perspective on that person or that other situation that we have. I know kids in school, when I was youth pastor, we would talk about this a lot because there's a lot of stuff that happens in schools and bullying and people feeling like you know, they're enemies and stuff like that. But we'd always teach the kids, look, remember, That person's not your, it may feel like they're your real enemy. It may feel like what they're doing is hurtful, and it is hurtful. And it is difficult. It is a difficult situation. But we have to remember that Jesus loves them too, as hard as it seems to be in the moment, and that that person isn't actually our real enemy. When we do marriage counseling, 
and we talk to marriages, guess what? Your spouse is not your enemy. Everyone got quiet. <laughs> your spouse is not your enemy. God has created you guys to be one with each other. So we have to remember who the real enemy is. Next thing we have to do is ask the Lord for compassion. I have found myself needing to ask the Lord for his compassion. And truly, this is the only way. For us to truly see that enemy, as we'll call it or define it here as we're speaking of it, have a compassion for them. Jesus had to give me a compassion for those third shift workers. And when I had it, I actually felt really bad for them. It's like, that does stink. And I would go around telling them, I was like, you know what? It stinks. I'm sorry that it went down that way. I, I had to make that decision. But you know what? I'm sorry that that's happening to you. That's terrible not to see your family. And so you begin to have this compassion for that, other per, for that other person or those people. And I can tell you, when I began to show compassion to them, even though they were upset or angry, I honestly, I can almost directly correlate it with the number of things that got written to, in the stalls began to decrease. Literally. Of course, they had the maintenance guy clean them up to see if they would come back. But they began to decrease because they knew that I had compassion. One thing, man, and there's a verse here I'll read at the end. One thing, man, when you have compassion towards someone who is against you, man, it just disarms them so quickly. It just disarms them so quickly. Then the last one is to love them. What do we mean by love them? Just exactly what Jesus told us to do in this scripture that we looked at. To bless them, to do good, and to pray. And I would tell you, if you... Uh, if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a, have a prayer language like that, man, is this most effective and most powerful in these situations. Because there's times where our minds want to say and do things and our flesh wants to do things that we really have to get our spirit man back in control. And for me personally, praying in tongues does that for me. I'm able to get the spirit person back in control even though my flesh wants to do something different. So Grace, if you want to come back up here. I want to read a scripture out of Romans 12 as we close here. It says this, Romans 12, starting in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on their head, completely disarming them. For do not overcome, for do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in your great mercy, you will help us and teach us to love others whether they are our friends or seemingly an enemy. Lord, give us your ideas and wisdom 
on how to bless them and do good and to pray for them. Lord, those who are here who have been terribly hurt by someone, Father, I just ask that you would minister to them right now. But you would begin to soften their heart not to be accepting of what was done to them, but truly see that you do have compassion for them. That you would help us to see that. Lord, give us your heart of compassion. And as we work to love others, may we focus our fight against the enemy, the true enemy, which is Satan. Lord, and I thank you that you cause us by your name, by your grace, to be victorious over all things in this life. Jesus, we thank you that you came to bring life and life more abundantly. So Lord, I pray over this few weeks as we're heading into Christmas that we may end up running into or bumping into somebody at a party or at a holiday get-together or gathering. And we know when we have issues with someone, as soon as we see them, we begin to tense up and feel all those things. But Lord, that you would soften our hearts to them. Lord, that even in advance of it, Lord, you're reminding us even today of those who we have been treating as enemies. Lord, that you would help us to begin to bless them, pray for them, and speak life over them. Lord, the only way we can do this is with you. So, Lord, we invite you in today into this season, into our hearts, into our relationships, into all we do. In your precious name we pray. Amen? Amen. Guys, as we close, we have some prayer teams that will be up front. They'll be right here. They will be able to pray with you for any, maybe it's a situation that we've been talking about. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're really struggling with. Let them pray with you, encourage you, lift you up. Maybe the Bible always says that today is the day of salvation. Well, today's today which means if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you came in here and you're just like, man, I don't want to check this out, see what this is all about. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So come, if you feel that tugging on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit saying go up and get prayer. Tell somebody about this. Let your life be radically changed forever. They'll be able to pray with you up front for that as well. And I believe, is that it? I think that's it. Guys, come up for prayer. And I'm going to just read a benediction here over us as we close. Just receive this today as we go forth in this busy holiday season of shopping and parties and all the things. It says in number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift 
of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. We love you. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. We love you guys.